The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it now. Because uh, I'm just not going to put up with the happy holidays by itself. Uh, even before Christmas, I'm, I'm going to say it now. Merry Christmas uh, to you all. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a pleasure to be with you. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and the Monty. I don't know why I'm laughing right now. I, just, I guess I'm just real chipper. I was up too late, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that happens. That happens. So at any moment, I could just crumble. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just pray that doesn't happen. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm doing great, Monty. I'm doing great. As soon as uh, as soon as we're done with this show, I'm on my way down to North Carolina to meet up with the C4 people. You know, you know that you've met the C4 people. Yes, the C4 uh, people. The new project. This is very interesting. I just want to talk about this for a minute. The new project that they're on. There is uh, there is a document management system uh, that's been designed specifically for treatment centers, and C4 is in the process of developing. Uh, an outcomes piece uh, that's going to be integral in uh, in that document management system. Now, what, what's been happening in treatment, which is unconscionable for the last you know millions of years, is every other form of uh, of medical treatment or psychiatric treatment uh, has what's known as outcomes. The, you measure uh, a patient's progress in a number of different ways uh, to make sure that. Number one, that the treatment methodology is appropriate for the client. And number two, that there's forward momentum as far as uh, someone getting better. Now, for a million years in, in uh, addiction treatment, you go to the 28-day the programs or the 90-day programs, very rarely is there any uh, outcomes followed. Now, every other form of, uh, of treatment for anything, you know, the, the, the data is at such a granular level that you'll know whether scalpel A will give you a better survival rate than scalpel B, you know. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is it's been so absent in uh, in addictions. So people will throw you into a program, uh, a 28 day program, and then you get discharged, and they don't know if they don't know if it worked. They don't know what what real progress you've made because there's there's not been an adequate measurement uh, diagnostic as far as uh, as, as outcomes. You know. Mm-hmm. It, 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 does the person respond to this? Uh, you know, has he stayed sober? Uh, you know, what kind of quality of life is 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 showing improvement? 
none of those none of those things have uh, have been operative in in the treatment industry and uh you know coming out of the dark ages of addiction treatment uh more and more people are going to be expected to follow outcomes for reimbursements and everything else so you know we're we're in the process of trying to develop uh develop a, a, a real applicable tool for the industry to uh, to follow outcomes. So I'm going down uh, to that board meeting, and I'm going to hear about uh, the progress that's being made. So it's very interesting. Excellent, excellent. Well, have, have a great trip. You can keep the humidity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to be too humid down there. I'm checking the forecast, and it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, in the 30s at night and in the, in the 50s during the day. So... Well, that, it's not going to be all that great. Well, that's that sounds like a a, a great tool to have, and uh, you know the guys at C four certainly are the ones that will be able to do that. So say say hi and give me uh, give them my best to all of them down there and Rick and I so will. forth. Yeah, great. Okay, we uh, uh, I know you like to recap. We are in uh, uh, the the chapter of the into action and. Uh, for those of you who have just joined us who have never been on the show before or never listened, this is Walking Through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we've been going um, word by word, sentence by sentence, page by page. This is an extremely thorough study. Um, when we're done with this, it'll probably be the most thorough that you'll hear, at least to now. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. You know, where, where we stand... Uh Today, Monty, as we're moving into step step six, seven, eight, and nine, is what is what we're going to do uh, today. Now, uh, step one, you hope hopefully you've been able to recognize that you're either a an alcoholic or b not an alcoholic. You know, uh, it's probably in your best interest to figure out that you're not. But let's just say that you are. Uh, you know that you have a mind that will uh, uh, that will during periods of insanity. Uh, uh, get you back into the liquor, no matter no matter what decisions you've made, no matter what uh, the consequences may be. You're going to drink again because that's been your pattern, and it will continue to be without a without some form of uh, uh, of spiritual experience. Uh, your body is set such that once you start drinking, you have little or no control over the amount you take, uh, and there's unmanageability presenting in your life uh, emotionally within personal relationships. Uh, uh, mentally, uh, physically, uh, there's consequences. Pile, you know, problems are piling up on you, and they're becoming astonishingly difficult to solve. Uh, and hopefully, you get exposed to a recovery process somewhere or another, and you you start to believe that there you can access a power greater than yourself. You can place yourself in the in the sunlight of that power, uh, and that power can. Uh, can can help you uh, recover from alcoholism that's the second step step three is coming to coming to believe that there is a power greater than yourself you you make a decision to access that power by going through the rest of the steps and developing and, and uh, improving uh, a contact with god uh, a relationship with your higher power step four is really looking at wh where you've failed at life uh the causes and conditions of your alcohol uh, you know your your behavior that, that that's led to this this problem you know what are the what are the things that about you that contribute to your your alcoholism like selfishness and self-centeredness you really start to look and see the truth about how you're showing up out there in the world in step step five, you share that with uh, with another person and with God and with yourself in, in a very very brutally honest way, 
And then you're poised basically for step six and step seven, which we'll, we'll start on. Uh, and that's on the, the top of page 76. Top of page 76. Um, prior to that, the construction, uh, the uh, the returning home part, where the construction references ask uh, ask you to, to, to very very diligently uh, uh, see if you've left anything out of the first five steps. If you've left anything out of the first five steps, it will sabotage you moving forward. If you haven't been completely honest in your fifth step, you're not going to get a lot out of uh, steps six through twelve. Uh, so. It, it asks you to really think very, very deeply about have you been fearless, have you been thorough uh, with uh, uncovering and discovering uh, the truth about your stock and trade. Uh, if you can answer, it says, uh, it says here at the top of page 76, if we can answer to our satisfaction that we haven't left every, anything out, that we've been as fearless and thorough as possible, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Like, are you willing to go to any lengths? Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. So this really is uh, basically step six. Uh, after we've done the inventory and shared the inventory, we're at a place where, yes, we are absolutely willing to let uh, God remove the big defects of character, like drinking, you know, like getting arrested, <laughs> like, like always, always not showing up the way we want to in our lives. A, a lot, we can answer yes to a lot of that stuff. However, there is, there's layers. There's layers that we need to consider. Uh, are we going to, are we going to uh, allow God in to every aspect of our life? Are we going to allow him into our sex life? Are we going to allow him to guide and direct us in our business life? You know, if there are still some things that we're not willing to, uh, to put in the hands of this power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity, uh, there's a prayer. Because, you know, again, I don't know about you, Monty, but uh, I, this, this was a process for me. Yes, I can take this step, but that doesn't mean that it's 100% internalized. That doesn't mean that I'm 100% willing to let God take everything. Because there's still some things that you'll, you'll hold on to. And, uh, and, and Bill knew that, and part of the step is if there are some things that we're not willing to let go of, like our sex life, like our business life, like uh, like the way we treat our family, uh, you know, because we really think that we we know everything that needs to be known about being a family member, and we're going to continue to keep telling these family members what they should be doing and how they should be operating. You know, if we're not willing to, to let those things go, we ask God to help us be willing. And we'll say a prayer like, God, please... Please help me be willing to let go of the things that I'm still hanging on to. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a simple prayers like that. And, you know, Monty, you understand the power of prayer. Simple prayers like that get answered. Let me, let me ask you this, Chris. Uh, it has been said that though this is the shortest step, at least in text, that uh, this is the one that separates the men from the boys. Can you explain that? Here's, here's the thing. Uh, about that, and this is my perspective, uh, maybe not Bill's when he was writing Step 6 in the 12 and 12, 
my perspective is, is this is a lifetime job. Yes, you initially take this step, but there are going to be things that are going to rear their ugly heads in your life because you're going to be out there and you're going to continue to bang heads with the universe. There, there's going to be a, a continued discipline necessary to continue to ri- remind yourself that now God is running the show. He's my director, uh, and I need to be directed by God. I need to not take the reins in, in my hands because I've done such a bad job when I've been, when I've been uh, steering the horse that, uh, that I, I must now start to allow God into every aspect of my life. And that does separate uh, the men from the boys, the girls from the women. Uh, it, it does, because of the amount of pressure the ego puts on us to stay in control. The ego does not want to give up control. Uh, when we when we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God in step, step 11, seeking guidance from God and operating on the intuitive guidance that we get, that takes fortitude. That really takes um, a, a, a spiritual discipline that many people are not going to be able to do a real good job with. So maybe that's what Bill meant by separating the men from the boys. I, I really am not absolutely sure about what he had in mind uh, when when he was uh, helping to write the 12 and 12. Very good. Uh, I have heard it said many times, and I'm sure you have too, uh, by well-meaning folks, uh, today I am working on my character defects. <laughs> and I, I have to chuckle a little bit of that about that because I, I don't know about you, Chris, but uh, when I, when I'm trying to work on them by myself, I don't get anywhere. Well, self would have to defeat self. You, you know, a house divided. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Satan cannot fight Satan. Uh, self cannot fight self. A house divided. Uh, here, here's how I here's how I describe it when when I'm uh, doing a workshop or I'm working with somebody. Do you know that arcade game Whack a Mole, Monty? Yeah. Okay, that's when you take the mallet and a mole's head will pop up, and you got to smack the mole in the head before another mole pops up. That's you working on your character defects. <laughs> Every time you smack down on something, something else will pop up. <laughs> Okay, you're whacking the mole when you're trying to, <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to take care of your own character defects. Now, some really good people have said step six is not doing what you want to do, and step seven is doing what you don't want to do. I think that's, that's a horrific oversimplification of this. God is involved in this. Yes, we need to participate. There's a wonderful statement in the 12 and 12 that says, God will not render you white as snow without your cooperation. I think what our cooperation is in this step is being aware, being aware and then asking for God's help and continuing to do that as a spiritual discipline. Uh, that's what's worked with me. Me trying to not be selfish, or me trying to not be lustful. That lasts about a minute and a half. Mm. You know, because because self self cannot defeat self. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of our troubles. So if we go into this without uh, God's help, we're, we're going to a gunfight with a penknife. Mm. You know what I mean? Makes a lot of sense, yeah. Does that yeah, make any that, sense? Yes, it does. 
And if okay. no if no if no human power can relieve our alcoholism, then that's that's no human power. Our self no or human power yeah. is certainly not self knowledge uh, no. or self determination. Uh, you know that those are both human powers also. Uh, the power must manifest through you from a power greater than yourself. That's how the that that's what the big book is about. Now, if you have problems with that, then you have problems with Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't have problems with Monty and Chris. You've got problems with Alcoholics Anonymous, because this, this whole program is about accessing the power of God. If you, have a, if you have a problem with God, or you don't believe in God, or you think that's all malarkey, and you're one of those guys that just goes to a lot of meetings, well, that's, that's all well and good, but that's not what Alcoholics Anonymous is. Alcoholics Anonymous is a program designed to bring you to a place called Recovered, where God will be doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Amen. Again, there's a lot of people who see that as hardline or, you know, a conservative Nazi type of, uh, uh, type, type, type of uh, uh, program uh, uh, philosophy. It, it's, it's just... A, it's just AA, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's that's what this whole fellowship and whole program was built on accessing the power of God, and uh, and again in step six and step seven that that's what those two steps are all about. Now, does that mean that all of your character character defects are going to be removed today? Uh, I don't know. You know, it, it kind of is more up to God than uh, than than it is up to us. I, ha- I had a lot of problems with character defects holding on after I did these steps. And you know what? Sometimes God uses our character de- defects to help other people. We need to consider that also. You know, uh, uh, my ego was not put under control uh, right away, even though I was asking for it to. Maybe God needed a little bit of my ego to, for me to get out there and to do some of the things that I've done. Because I think if you if you had zero ego, I'm not really sure that you would have done some of the things that I've done, <laughs> and some of the things I've done have been really helpful to people. So, so who knows? Who knows? You know what you need to do is you need to participate. God will not render you white as snow without your participation. You need to participate, and then you need to let go of your attachment to the outcome. You know you're going to want the character defects that are causing you personally. Hard, a hard time uh, removed. You're, you're going to be less interested in the character defects that might harm others. Well, you know, God might have a whole different plan for you. And and part of this recovery process is being open to that and, and uh, you know, allowing God into your life to mold you, uh, to guide you and to direct you and to build with you as he will. You know, think about that. Uh, that that's that's uh, that's one of the main prayers. God, please, to build with me and do with me as Thou wilt. Okay, so He's going to build and to do with you as He wilt. <laughs> so, so again, we need to be open to that too. And now, now we're uh, this is really short in the book, but it's 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 very intense. And now we're at step seven. Is that correct? Yes. When ready, when ready, we say something like this. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. 
Amen. We have then completed step seven. That's another affirmation prayer. I mean, if we're totally willing uh, for God to, uh, if we're willing to have God remove our character defects, at, the, at least the ones that are, you know, in our conscious uh, mind at that moment, you know, saying the step seven prayer is basically asking God and affirming that that's what we want. You know, we're saying, God, please remove these defects of character that stand in the way of my usefulness to you, God, and my fellows. It's, it's, not a, it's not a selfish prayer. I think the people that run around saying it's a selfish program, it's a selfish program, that's just one more, one more cop-out that you hear all the time. This is a selfless program. This is a program about, uh, about destroying selfishness and self-centeredness in you so you can be some good out there in the world. That's, that's the whole uh, trajectory of this step process. Monty, what are some of, you know, talk a little bit about your experience uh, with Step 6 and 7. Uh, you know, what are, what are some of the things that, uh, that you can relate from your experience? Well, well, I'll tell you, this is when I see this, uh, I see this so often. It certainly uh, was the case with me before I was married. You know, I was, uh, I was willing to do anything God wanted me to do. I told God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. And uh, but then when something would come up that had to do with relationships, then it was, you know, except that that area is mine. <laughs> and of course, God, you know, um, I know that in my situation, you are, you know, you're doing something a little different. It doesn't apply. Your word doesn't apply to me in this situation because I'm unique. And so I wouldn't let go of that. And what it, what it happened is by by holding on to something uh, like that, particularly in relationships where there's a spiritual bond that takes place, uh, everything else would crumble. And so uh, I wasn't sure, willing sure. to let go let go of all of it. Um, I also tried very very hard to work on my character defects. I misunderstood this in the beginning. And I would do a lot of writing. I would do a lot of, okay, well, this time I'm not going to do this. And, and next time I'm going to do this better. And then it wouldn't happen. Um, and it was because deep down inside, I thought I could do a better job than God could. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I agree with that. The same, the same things have happened to me. I think that's probably, the, you know, the, the majority experience. Now, where where you uh, where you were hanging on to some of those uh, relationship specifics, I think I think we're uh, we're participating in its re- in the removal by asking God to help us, help us be willing and and, and where we can make an effort uh, to change, we make that effort. But our effort alone is insufficient. Right, right, and, and, and you know it, I did run into that thing where somebody said, well, if you're not willing. Uh, ask God to help you be willing to be willing, or if you're not even willing to do that, help him, ask him to help you be willing to be willing to be willing. And I finally gave up, and I said, okay, I'll do that. And and, and then things started to happen. Yeah, you, you know, the, the power of prayer in this program is something that you have to experience to believe. You know, I mean, when you get to, when you get to the other end of these steps, uh, you have had some unbelievable spiritual experiences. It's uh, and and it's amazing. It will it will make a believer out of anyone who tries it. It really will. Very few people get to the end of the steps and still have 
really strong atheistic or agnostic uh, uh, belief systems. You know, this will chip away, uh, chip away at those by, by offering you know so many uh, so many experiences that are powerful uh, to let you know that they're that you are accessing that power. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, we've uh, this is after the returning home part. You know, we've done the fifth step. We return home where we can be quiet for an hour. Then we do step six and step seven, and again, action, more action. Uh, Right away, I ask the people that I'm working with that after they get up off their knees from step seven, they are to start working on uh, their uh, uh, their uh, uh, list of, of people and institutions that they've harmed. So let's move into that. Now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Now, the list of people is basically the fourth column of the resentment inventory. Mm-hmm. Anywhere that we've recognized that our fear, the manifestation of our fear, have, has harmed other people, and especially uh, the, the uh, relationship inf- uh, inventory emphasis on sex, where we're asked to answer a bunch of those questions, a lot of times those questions are pointing to people we have harmed. So we need to hang on to the to the four step until we start working on our eight step list. I've heard often, you know, people said, you know, my sponsor said after we did the fifth step to burn that inventory, and you know, there's an issue if you burn that inventory because you actually need it for your eight step list. <laughs> so, so don't burn it, you know, after you do your fifth step, unless unless you uh, unless you're in the half measures club. <laughs> okay, so we made a list of all persons we had harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. Notice that it does not say we apologize for the damage done in the past. Hmm. It says we're going to go out and repair the damage done in the past. Those are two completely different things. Another thing that I he- I've heard in a lot of uh, fellowship, meeting, uh, fellowship meetings is, you know, you'll be on the, the ninth step or something. They'll say, well, yeah, you know, I got to step nine. I went home and, uh, you know, I apologized to my wife for ruining her life for the last 20 years. And you know what? She didn't take it very well. <laughs> you know, that's, that's somebody who doesn't understand, uh, understand what we're going after here. We're not going after apologizing. We're going after repairing. There's going to be a lot of work involved in that. Another thing that nobody likes to hear, you know, in contemporary fellowship meetings, that there's a lot of work you need to do. Well, I would rather tell them the truth, you know, than uh, than watch them drink again. If you're not engaged in that work, you're not ensuring your uh, immunity from alcohol. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. There's another prayer directive, because I'll tell you what, you know, when I put my eight-step list together, I I was willing to make amends to some of them, but I was scared about making amends to some other. You know, I I, I couldn't believe that I would be able to have the capacity to go and, and stand in front of these people. But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to every day, probably multiple times, ask God, please, please, uh, 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 please give me the willingness to make these direct amends. Because our, our, life, our life is on the line with, with this stuff. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any length for victory over alcohol. And any length, 
includes making direct amends and repairing the damage done in the past to the best of our ability. Pro <clears throat> excuse me. Probably there are still some misgivings. There's always going to be some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel reluctant about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual free feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit historically about this because uh, it, it's going to it's going to explain a little bit. This, uh, emphasize the spiritual free feature on our first approach. Before this book was written, this was uh, almost a, it was a religious process. And when they when the Oxford Group people went back and uh, uh, talked about uh, making amends, they would basically be talking about uh, about their religious experience. In other words. Someone would go make an amends prior to the writing of the big book. They would say, listen, I've found Jesus, and for me to be able to you know, uh, get a real live relationship with Jesus and to be able to overcome alcoholism, I need to set right the wrong. Now, they found through experience that sometimes saying it that way would prejudice other people. Not, not so much that... Um, you know uh, that they weren't being honest they were being very honest but the fact of the matter is is some people can see you as uh, a religious fanatic if you do that and that sometimes can reduce your effectiveness and your helpfulness to them in other words from my own experience when I've made direct amends a lot of times those people have come back to me and asked for my help either with a loved one or for themselves you don't want to say anything that will reduce your effectiveness in being able to help them or other people. So you don't want to be branded a religious, uh, a religious fanatic. That's what they were talking about in this book. Uh, Bill separated out a lot of that Oxford Group stuff to make it more of a, you know, uh, more of a secular type of program. But he still had a lot of a lot of the vocabulary from uh, the Oxford Group style. Does, does that make any sense? Sure, sure. So if you're going to somebody that you've you've stole from, especially if you've done it over and over again, you say, uh, you know, hey, I just got to tell you, I, I found God, and I'm changing here and changing there, and I'm doing all this stuff. And you know what I hear a lot of folks say is, well, that's what you told me before. You know, and, uh, oh, well, you found religion, and, and you, we have a lot of people out there that really don't understand the true definition of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, like you said, and it, it it's not so much our deal as, as it is that's just the way people perceive things. Because later on, um, and that's why I like about what it says uh, upon our first, first approach, that suggests it's, that we're probably going to have other opportunities, like you said, when we can get into that. But right now... They may not, some of them don't even want to hear your amends. You know, in the next paragraph, it talks about, you know, when and where we should bring up uh, God. But it does say in this that they're going to be more interested in a demonstration. In other words, that you are willing to try to repair the damage than apologize for it. So that's, that's the most important thing on the agenda. Um, at, at 
the moment we were we were trying to put our lives in order but this is not an end in itself our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to god and to the people about us now that's what our real purpose is as recovered alcoholics that's a complete shift away from selfishness and self-centeredness you know we're we're going from uh, a foundation a life life system foundation of selfishness and self-centeredness to fitting ourselves with god's help to be of service to the people about us and to be about god's business that's we we need to keep that in mind that that's where we're headed it is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to be branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. Again, if, if we're fitting ourselves to be of maximum service, we don't want to kill any future opportunities. But our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. He's going to be more interested in us paying the money back than in saying, you know, we've found, we've, I've found this wonderful way. So we need to be very, very practical about this. But we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. So, you know, absolutely, if it's going to serve a perfect, let, let, let's say, they, well, why are you doing this? Well, you know, why are you doing this? Maybe that will give you an opportunity to explain your new, you know, your new uh, course, of, uh, course of action. You know, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in a recovery process from alcoholism. You know, uh, and uh, for me to be able to stay away from alcohol, I need to set right the wrongs in, in my past. You know, I found a very, very uh, important spiritual direction for myself. And you know, you can talk about God if it's gonna if it's gonna serve any good purpose. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. All right, there's different there's different sections in the ninth step about how to approach different people. This is the man we hated. Now, here's some bad news to, to the half-measure crowd. If you have a resentment or you hate somebody out there, you got you got to confront them. All right? That's not something everybody wants to hear. But if you have the type of resentment that just boils inside you and you can't get rid of it, the best way to get rid of it is to follow this. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So the more you hate somebody, the more it's going to benefit you to do this step. There has been people that have really harmed me in my life, Monty. And you know, if I put if I put it on paper, the harms they did to me and the harms I did to them, they did ninety five percent more harm to to me than I did to them. Okay, so that should be a justify justified resentment. And why should I go to them? <laughs> They're the ones that harmed me. Well, here's the thing: there's no justified resentments. There are only fatal ones for an alcoholic. So I need freedom. I need to find freedom from this anger and this resentment. And it says, uh, 
it is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. That means we can find freedom from this anger, this resentment, and this hatred by actually going to the person that we hate. And we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. We simply tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies will sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally they, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part, it's water over the dam. So that's, that's, those are the instructions for going to the man we hate. Uh, now, this is a very, very important one. A lot of people skip this one. They don't even put the person down on the four-step inventory because they're so worried about having to go out and make, uh, make amends. But I'll tell you what, how free do you want to be? And, and if this one sentence in here is, is true, nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we go to the man we hate. What if that's actually true? That basically means that the whole program will fall apart on us if we don't. So, again, I've had experiences with this. I've had experiences where I had to take the bit in my teeth. I was not happy about going to these people. I couldn't stand these people. But I knew that, that if the resentment and hatred stayed in my heart, it would, be, uh, it would, be, it would have a corrosive effect on any type of, of, uh, of spiritual life I was trying to put together. So I placed the outcome in God's hands. I asked for the courage to do these things because I really, really was reluctant and had a lot of anxiety about it, but I just went out and I did it. And walking away, I found that I no longer hated or resented the person at all. I, I really saw them as someone who was perhaps spiritually sick, like myself, and there was no reason, there was no space in, in me anymore uh, for that anger or that resentment. So what you're saying is it's not really a good idea to say, you know, I was wrong about this, this, and this, but you were wrong about that <laughs> yeah. part, right? <laughs> you know, our ego will want to do that. Our ego will want to say, you know, I did this basically because you did that, but I went ahead and did this and I was wrong. You know, their <laughs> faults are not discussed. Right. There's been times where people wanted to make amends to me in the middle of me making amends to them. And what I've said to them is basically, look, I'm here, I'm here because of my side of the street. If you'd like to make an appointment with me at some other time and, and discuss, you know, anything you want to discuss with me, that's really great. But, you know, what, what this whole meeting is about is for me to lay out, you know, where I've been at fault and see how I can repair the damage. So if you don't mind, I'd like to stick to that topic. 
you know, sometimes I've done that. Sometimes I've let them, you know, talk. Uh, a lot of times these, uh, these amends are very, very healing for, for, uh, for the people who you're making amends to. And also some of the things I'll do in an amends is I'll, I'll ask three questions after I'm done. I'll lay out the harm I'm clear on, and then I'll, I'll ask them three questions. Number one, have I left anything out? Is there any other way I have harmed you that I'm unaware of? And I will let them talk. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's question number one. Question number two is, do you need to tell me how this made you feel? Do you, do you need to talk about how this affected you? Okay? The way I, way I treated you affected you. Then I stop and I, I let them talk. This is allowing them to vent, allowing them to heal. And then the third question, which is very, very important, is what do I need to do to set right this wrong? If I'm not clear on it myself, I mean, if it's paying back money, you pay back money. But if it's, if it's for a lifetime of uh, oppressive behavior, you know, I'll ask the person, what do I need to do to set right this wrong? And if it's appropriate, if it's ethical, if it's legal, <laughs> and if it's possible, I will do what they ask me to do, because that's how you complete an amends like this. Gotcha. Does that make any sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and the, the amends thing, you're amending what you did, correct? You're changing. All right, think of the term amendment. Uh, we've got amendments to our constitutions, okay? An amendment to a constitution is, is basically, you know, adding a whole new piece to make right the whole. You know, uh, an amend, um, to amend something is to change it, you know. So we're not, we're, again, I'll say this a hundred times if I say it once, we're not going there to apologize. Although an apology might be part of the amends. That's not what we're there for. We're really there to, to, to demonstrate to them that we're willing to set right the wrong and to figure out how to, how the heck to do that. You know, because we might have an idea of how to set right this wrong, but that might not be their idea, you know, and we're yeah. very presumptuous to, 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 you know, conclude to ourselves how to set right the wrongs that, that we've done. So sometimes we need to be open to what they think we need to do to set right the wrong. Sure. Now, right, we, money. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes we owe money, don't we, money? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you know, sometimes listen. A lot of my friends, you know, hadn't 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 even you know filed taxes for twenty years. I mean, you know, these type of things that they're 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 problems, and you have to address them. Most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. We can't hide from our creditors. We're not supposed to dodge them. Telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They knew, usually know about it anyway, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we are sorry, our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors, no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. There's a couple of places in this book that'll tell us that tells us uh, important warning signs about drinking. Uh, being afraid to face creditors is one of them. Now, you know, I'm I've, I'm an egotistical alcoholic. What I want to do is I owe, I owe 
you know, a visa, two grand, okay? Mm-hmm. What I want to do is I want to wait until I have two grand. I want to walk into the visa office. And I want to throw two grand down and say, here's your money. But the fact of the matter is, is I don't have two grand right now. So what I need to do is I need to let these creditors know where I stand. That they like to know what's going on, these people. The, the thing that makes them the most afraid is for you to disappear off the face of the earth. To not answer phone calls, to not return uh, letters, uh, to to just to just you know stick your head in the sand. That's the worst thing you can do with these creditors. You know what you need to do is you need to let them know what's going on. You need to arrange the best deal you can. If all you can afford is a hundred dollars a month and they want two hundred, you need know, just tell them, look, all I can afford is is a hundred dollars a month. I'm going to be sending it to you. You know you can not cash the check if you want. But that's all I can afford. And you know what? They're going to be cashing the check. And a lot of times they, are, they, help, they help you by, you know, the best deal you can make agreeing to it, you know. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it took me about seven years uh, to, to clean up uh, the, the financial amends uh, that I had. I've known people that it's taken 20 years uh, to, to, to clean it up. As long as we're about the business of cleaning it up, we're going to be safe and protected. The minute we stick our head in the sand and pretend that these creditors don't exist, then we, then we place ourselves in, a, in the unenviable position of uh, being uh, susceptible to the obsession of the mind coming back and drinking again. How about criminal offenses, Monty? You ever do, you ever do any crimes out there? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did I. So, but, so this is only my opinion. You know, far be it from me to to have had criminal activity in my past. Yeah. But let's let's just assume hypothetically uh, that that we have had some, some criminal activity in the past. Perhaps we have committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this incompetence to another person in our FISTA, but we are sure that we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up alimony to number one. She is indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given the strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. Quite possibly the stupidest thing I ever heard in a 12-step meeting uh, was... uh, was uh, it was on this step? Somebody raised their hand, and said, "You know, I had a list of all the people that I had harmed, and I showed it to my sponsor. And my sponsor said, listen, it says except when the when except when the do so would harm uh, harm others, and you're an other, so it'll harm you to go do all this, so you don't have to do it." <laughs> I've heard that. that yeah. You need to know about this step is you are not others. <laughs> if it's going to harm you too bad. That's the spiritual exercise you need to take to overcome drinking. We are not supposed to, we're really not supposed to consider the personal consequences at all, unless other people are involved. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink in anything. 
There's only been two times, uh, Monty, that I've, I've taken people through the steps where they've ended up going to jail uh, because they made their ninth-step amends. And both times, they would have ended up in jail anyway because there was big-time warrants mm. out for their arrest. One time, uh, you know, I was talking with this guy, and he had to go back to Colorado because he, he you know, he'd skipped bail. And he jumped bail, and, you know, he, he didn't want to go to jail, so he just disappeared into another state. Now, you can't, you can't stay sober looking over your shoulder the rest of your life. So he really was going through these steps. He was really determined to find a spiritual experience. He went back to Colorado. He said, I'm here. Uh, you know, I'm turning myself in. I've got, you know, nine outstanding warrants. And he did about three months in jail. He probably would have done three years in jail if they found him and extradited him. So, so again, you know, uh, what are you going to do? What, you, you know, how, how do you want to live in the future? How free do you want to be? Uh, we must not shrink at anything. Now, usually, though, pe- however, people, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. Let's say you're supporting a family and you have outstanding warrants. Now you need to sit down with the family and you need to explain to them what what you need to do. And you know, they need to be okay with it to a certain degree. Because if you're say the sole support for that family before you before you run off and 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 put yourself in prison or whatever uh or start sending all of your money, you know, to pay off amends, you need to you need to uh, uh get permission from the people who you know you're who are depending on you you know so so again if you are a family uh, a supporter uh, in your family you need to get agreement from the family you need to you need to make sure that they're okay with it because you can't just run off and save yourself and then let then harm everybody else around you so you can't you you, you can't just, well I mean what you're going to have to do in a lot of cases is you're going to have to come clean about some things that maybe your family didn't know about. Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we we need to be fearless, uh, thorough, and uh, rigorously honest. And sometimes uh, sometimes that means with uh, with the family. You know, so so again uh, another another instance. I'll give you I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I had I had uh, you know I, I was living in a state. Uh, another state, and I got thrown out of a house. This is way back in the seventies, and you know they told us we have we have a month to get out. And I was really upset that they threw us out, even though it was because of having you know parties till three in the morning and all the neighbors complaining. So I decided to have a house trashing party, you know. And what I did was I invited everybody over, and we literally tore the house apart. There wasn't a door or a window or a wall that wasn't damaged. The chimney was kicked off the top of the house, Monty. Now, I forgot <laughs> all about this. I forgot all about this till like, my second or third inventory. And all of a sudden, it came to me like, oh, oh no, you know, I've got, I got to set this right. And this is like 20 years later. So I did absolutely everything I could to find uh, these people, but there were other people involved. Now there were there were two other roommates that I had. Okay, mm-hmm. one of them was dead from cirrhosis of the liver. You know, surprise, surprise. The other one I contacted and I said, "Look, here's what I want to do. I want to track down these people and I want to make direct amends to them. Do you have any problem with that?" And he goes, "No, I don't have any problem at all. Just don't tell them where I am." So I said, "Okay, fine." 
you know, so uh, I did my absolute best to track these people down. Private investigators, internet searches, I, I, I couldn't find them. Uh, I made my amends in, in, a, in a different way. I got the money back out into the universe, uh, you know, so, so I, I balanced the scales to the best of my ability. Uh, but I had to talk to, you know, the other living roommate because making a direct amends, uh, you know, could have impacted him. So I needed to gain his permission. If you've done, if you've done crimes with other people, you know, if you did a B and E and you want to make amends for it, you cannot implicate the other people uh, who were doing the crime with you. You know, you're just not supposed to do those things. Here we talk about a man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, Here I am. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first, first wife, admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would be willing to try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course she did not, and the whole situation has since been adjusted. Before taking drastic action which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. So we we need to use tact and common sense, and and you know I'll tell you what before you run off and make amends, I highly recommend talking to an experienced sponsor or spiritual advisor who has completed their amends, who has experience with doing amends. So many people in you know the modern uh, recovery fellowships really haven't done this stuff, you know. So going to those people, it's like you're just going to get an opinion. You're not going to get experience. And another thing is I really try not to share my opinion. Let's say somebody comes to me and they've got a problem with the IRS. I never had a problem with the IRS. I always paid my taxes just because I was afraid that I didn't want them knocking on my door. Yet a lot of people have come to me with amends that they need to make to the IRS. What I will do is I will send them to somebody who has made amends to the IRS and who can tell them what that looks like and what they can expect. I am not just going to tell them, oh, yeah, you just go down there, because maybe that's not the best way. Maybe you need to get a tax accountant involved and get all your records together and then go to a tax attorney and have the tax attorney help you with the process. That may be what you need to do, but I don't know because I don't have experience with it. So I'm not afraid to point people to um, experienced uh, 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 members of, uh, of the fellowship. I- I'm not opposed to doing that because I don't want to share my opinions. Opinions kill. Experience, experience saves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You, you bet. I understand that completely. Chris, we're almost out of time. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna stop at uh, the top of page uh, eighty, and we're gonna pick up, I guess, again uh, next week. Monty, you got anything to share with us? <clears throat> well, I, I will I will share with you this. Uh, when it comes to a, to amends, and I've I've had issue with this. There, we've all heard about living amends, and I think a lot of times I know it, it, with me. Uh, and I will admit to it, I have made it an excuse not to make direct amends uh, out of fear and instead 
did what I had interpreted as a living amends. Here's the example. Um, stealing or shoplifting from a store and being afraid to go and make that amends for that. So what I did was for uh, a couple of months, I would take shopping carts back from the parking lot to the store. Therefore, I made my living amends. I think that's hogwash. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing to take the shopping carts back. Right. But what you're doing is, if you're going to place yourself in maximum benefit, uh, uh, maximum usefulness to God and other people, if you go and you make a direct amends to the shopkeeper, telling him what you did and offering to pay the money back, you, what can happen is if that shopkeeper ever has somebody who's suffering from alcoholism, or if he himself is suffering from alcoholism, you know, you can leave him contact information so you can actually be of help. Now, I know, you know, I know a lot of people who've, you know, just sent money anonymously back instead of, you know, making the direct amends. You know, that's not really what the, what the exercise is about. We have fear sometimes about facing the people we have harmed. We have to ask God to help us overcome that fear and face these things. You want to be free, you face these people. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you don't have... If you don't have the gumption right at this moment to do it, ask God until you do have the courage mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, at living amends, how I see the, the appropriate uh, utilization of living amends is in family situations. You make a direct amends. Absolutely, you make a direct amends to them. You sit down and you, 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 you go over all the things that you've done in the past. You ask them, how do I need to set right this wrong? And, and then there's a living amend portion that will follow that. You are going to try to be the best family member you can be from that point on. That, that's a living amends. But this, is, this step isn't about living amends. It's about direct, direct amends. amends. You know, so is there is there a, a way to do living amends that's appropriate and in the spirit of this? Absolutely, uh, you know, but you don't do it instead of you do it as well as. Yeah, yeah. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense, and and, and there is, I will say, uh, out of experience, listeners, uh, there is an enormous amount of freedom that 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 takes place, uh, and you know what. Out of the amends that I've, I've had to make, the, the most difficult ones, I'm still alive. I, I didn't die. I've gone to prison, but I'm still here. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to face the consequences and you do it. But the freedom that comes from that is, is it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And I'll tell you, just like you said, do you want to be free? How free do you want to be? <laughs> two, you know. two people who uh, I was guiding through amends. One of them. I had to send him into maximum security prison to make direct amends to one of one of the bosses of organized crime. <laughs> because if if he didn't, he might have been killed and he's <laughs> still alive. Okay? Another person I actually sent back to a bone breaking loan shark, okay, who basically has the boys, you know, three finger Louie come out and break your legs if you don't come <laughs> up with the Vic on Tuesday. He, you know, he hadn't. He disappeared on this guy years before, and he was scared to death to go back to the guy. But I said, I said, well, you know, what, what do you want? What do you want to do? You want him to find you someday by accident, 
or do you want to face this? And he actually went and, and made a phone call, told the guy he was coming over, knocked on the door, and told him what was going on in his life. And, and to, do you know, he, he owed the guy $2,000 that he borrowed. The Vic had made it hundreds of thousands of dollars. Do you know this guy forgave him his debt? All he needed to do was help him with some painting. Really? <laughs> that was not, that was not what he, he really didn't expect to come back, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but sometimes these, these creditors will surprise you, you know? Yeah. I mean, listen, listen, if I'm coming back to you and I'm humble and I'm honest and I'm really showing a desire to set right the wrong, why in the world would you punish me? Hmm. You know, yeah. it's our ego that makes us believe that it's going to be a terrible negative consequence. You know, that's the that's the part of our ego that we need to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we are doomed to drink again or worse. You know, there are I tell people that all the time, you know, they say, well, you know, at least I didn't drink. You know, I kicked the cat and slept with the neighbor's wife, but at least I didn't drink. There are things out there that will kill you that you'll fall back into if you don't take care of business. Living an unrecovered life without alcohol is dying an alcoholic death. Yeah, very well put. Chris, thank you once again for a great show. Folks, you can play this show over again. If you would like an MP3 file of this show, uh, we're doing something a little different, please email me at take12radio at comcast.net. And with uh, if you're going to be if you want me to send it to a different email, make sure that you include that. And uh, there you go, Monty. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Hey man, have a good trip today. Okay. All right, and say hi to everybody for me. All right, take care. All right, buddy. We'll see you later. Until our next broadcast, when we walk through the big book. This is the Monty Man and Chris Schroeder, and we're wishing God's serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>